you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by the podcast today. And as always, we have some of the most amazing guests, great authors, brilliant minds, and all the wonderful people that you may want to see on the uh, interwebages of the sky. The, all that stuff that's playing around, running around. And all that good stuff. Uh, today we have uh, some amazing folks that are on the show, and uh, we're going to be talking about a new book that came out March fourteenth, twenty twenty-three. Reverberation: Do Everything Better with Music. And uh, Keith Blanchard is the author on the show. Uh, uh, is the author of the book. Uh, Peter Gabriel. Uh, wrote the forward for the book. You may know Peter Gabriel as the massive uh, musical artist. He was also part of uh, Genesis, which is a favorite band of mine as well. Wrote some incredible hits and power uh, stuff that uh, I, if I mean, if you haven't heard Peter Gabriel's music, you've been living on a rock for like the longest time. I mean, it's still it still reverberates today. Uh, from when I grew up with him and, and him in Genesis back in the day. In fact, I think I've got some friends that, you know, the original Genesis and the 70s, they've still got uh, their rock cancer tickets to it. So we're going to be talking about that. We actually have his daughter on the show. She's going to be with us as well, Anna Gabriel. Uh, she's a co-founder of the launching that they did of this uh, business company. We're going to find out more about it called Reverberation and uh, what they do on the interwebs and talking about what they do with music. We also have Michael Herman on the show with us as well. Uh, Michael Herman is the uh, Reverberation co-founder and CEO. Uh, he launched Wicked Cow, uh, Reverberation's managing partner in 1995 as a TV production company, producing its inaugural project, Reverse Angle, and uh, Sports entertainment show uh he hosted airing on fox sports along with that we have anna gabriel on the show uh she's along with being the daughter of peter gabriel i wonder how she worked that out uh she uh was born in london england and uh she moved to the u.s in 1992 to launch her career as a photographer and video director her fine art photography has been exhibiting galleries in sundance boston new york and London. Welcome to the show, both Anna and Michael. How are you? Good. Thank you for having peachy. us. Peachy. Terrific. Peachy, yeah. peachy. So there you go. So this is kind of an interesting combo. I've got you two here who've helped co-found uh, this reverberation, if I understand it correctly. Peter Gabriel's involved in it, and uh, I believe so is uh, Keith Blanchard. Do I have that all correct? You do. You do. There you go. There you go. And we're missing um, yeah. the other two, but, uh, you know, you guys are going to make a great stand-in for them as well. Hope we, we hope you'll carry the load. Uh, we'll yes, we'll do our best. No promises. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So let's do this. Let's get the dot-coms. Let's get some uh, places that uh, we can plug where you want people to go check you guys out on the interwebs. Uh, website is reverberation.co.co. Um, and we are at reverberation.co on Instagram. And we're at Reverberation at Facebook, on Facebook. There you go. Anna, any plugs you want to do on your websites? Um, my personal web, well, I, I actually have another book, a photography book out called ID, and, and that website is idphotographs.com. <clears throat> there you go. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about this. What launched this project? Because it seems like, okay, so there's a book, there's the website. Uh, give us a grand overview of what's going on here and, and why you're doing it. Anna, do you want me to go? Sure. <laughs> okay. So um, Anna and I have been friendly. We're friendly from like the late part of the 2000s until 2020 when we sort of uh, had a little bit of a renaissance. And we've been um, uh, Facebook friends for all that time and I think following each other a little bit in our work. But in 2020, um, my company had um, recently launched a 
sort of an accessible brain brand um, that was for sort of like, you know, the idiots like me that we can understand the science and pull usefulness and understanding out of like this influx, this influx of brain science that was sort of infiltrating our the zeitgeist, you know, in the middle of last decade, you heard a lot of like how to sleep better, how to eat better. What is brain health all of a sudden? We had never heard that term. So we wanted to create a very fun and funny and visual and interactive brand around your brain. And um, we did some really fun projects around that. The last project we did um, was this really fun, interactive live event uh, here in New York with Seth Rogen and Martha Stewart and Jane Krakowski. It was all about, it was an interactive sort of musical and uh, panel discussion around the impact uh, of comedy and food on your brain, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And um, it, uh, I'd been an admirer, uh, not only of uh, sort of an acquaintance of Anna's, but an admirer of her work. Anna's a super talented photographer and director. And I am a, a lifelong super fan of Peter, not just as a musician, but as an activist and, and an artist and, you know, someone who really has put his world, his money, his time, his, his art into trying to make the world a better place. And he's done some really powerful things. And I've been just a, a super admirer for a long time. And knowing that we wanted to really move into like the power of our brains um, in 2020, right before the pandemic, Anna and I kind of got together and we figured that, you know, taking, sort of this vast brainness was a lot to chew on. But, you know, I think we both knew that it was um, even anecdotally that we all have songs that we were listening to, whether it was to go to sleep or to calm us down or to, you know, when we're playing basketball in the driveway to pump us up as, as I am now. Um, there was this sort of invisible, magical thing out in the universe that was affecting, you know, everything we did. And um, a little bit about Peter is Peter's been sort of an anomaly in the music world. And there are others, but not many who really have devoted his personal interest and time to science and neuroscience and really getting a, a really robust understanding of, of how it all works. So Anna and Peter and my company um, decided to create this um, music, tech, and media studio around the impact of using our everyday music uh, to do everything better. So whether that was on the anecdotal side where we're helping to increase creativity and productivity, or it was on the other side of understanding how sound can help you know, retard the growth of Alzheimer's plaque growth or helping our, our basic mental health in the world in which we live now. Um, and we decided to go out and create a voice that was fun and funny and colorful and accessible and to bring a whole bunch of people together. And, and that's exactly what we're doing. And we started with our book um, and we brought Keith on to, uh, to help write this book, which he did a brilliant job of. And if you don't know Keith, Keith, among other things, used to be the um, he used to be the uh, editor in chief uh, of the digital version of Rolling Stone and also the World mm. Science Festival. So he's this great, funny dude who just gets it and was able to translate for us um, a lot of the science that we were calling together. And um, our whole ecosystem for the studio starts with the book. There you go, Anna. Uh, do you want to throw your thoughts in on that? Yeah, well, just to add that we, you know, we wanted to make the book as usable um, as possible. So it's something that, you know, you can carry around that doesn't sit on a bookshelf and you can kind of flip through. So we also made it very visual and colorful. So each chapter is color coded, but it's, um, you know, broken up into subjects like focus, sleep, um, become, connect, uh, create. And, and you can kind of flip to that chapter and find out, you know, how music can can help you within those um, within those daily activities of, that you might have. Um, so, and it's also you know made in flexibine, so you could put it in your pocket and carry it around a certain size. We sort of you know put all these factors in to kind of make it as friendly as possible for the non-scientists and um, easily pick up and read. There you go. You know, music has such an integral part of our lives. I don't think I have to tell anybody that, but if I do, I just did. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in, uh, I was just looking up Shock the Monkey here on the Wikipedia because I was a teenager when Shock the Monkey came out. I know that's hard to believe. 
um, because I look so young and Brad Pittish, but I actually was 1982. Very, very handsome. Yeah. Thank you very much. There. Thank you very much, sir. Um, the, uh, flattery will get you everywhere. Um, 1982. I remember when that song came on the on the charts. Uh, uh, it exploded. I graduated high school in '86, so I would have been what junior high, uh, 14. sophomore, about 14. So, um, but I remember how explosive it was. It was all over the radio. It was everywhere. It was such a huge hit. I believe MTV was coming up at that point. Man, it's all fading. But uh, I remember the video on MTV was just like, you know, just off the charts every five minutes. Uh, I remember sort of the thing. scared me quite a bit. <laughs> Did it really? That's right. It had the monkey in it. It was kind of it was kind of yeah. a little bit uh, weird. But, I mean, you'd watch it because you're just like, you know, and that was kind of the whole age of, you know, kind of interesting sort of videos. And everyone was experimenting and trying to make art, I think, you know, Miami what was it? The Miami Vice and stuff was going on. It was a real Miami Vice's feel, if I recall correctly. But, you know, music is is one of those things that shaped us. In fact, we were talking before the show about how I just went and bought Metallica's new album, 72 Seasons. I went to this really interesting premiere they did of it. Uh, and maybe this plays into your book. But they did something that I don't think any artist has ever done yet. I could be wrong. But they released a, a, vi a, a movie. And it's it's a movie of all the songs in the album where they introduced the album to us, not only in an audio format, but they released it in a movie format or video format or visual format as well. And so they literally sat down with us and they sold tickets to a one night only exclusive thing in movie theaters where you could go and they introduce the album to you. And I have been in love with the last two albums of Metallica. Uh, and they haven't been that good. And I think I, I think a lot of uh, people who are Metallica fans kind of agree. I mean, they're okay. But being able to sit down with the band, kind of almost on a one-on-one -on -one level, and have them introduce the music to me and what their thoughts of each song were. And then some of them were ones of them playing, and some of them were like weird sort of almost Peter Gabriel's, you know, sort of visual art things that... that uh, you kind of it gives you a different experience, and I'm in love with the whole album. And I don't know if I just got hoodwinked to love the album because uh, of this whole experience they put me through, or if I just really like the music. And I'm pretty sure I really like the music. But it's interesting to me how you know so many songs. You know, we go back and love those songs that were kind of at that moment that got imprinted us at such a young age. And I think what you guys are trying to do is tie together the brains the brain waves and the connectivity and frequency ranges as well. And why we fall in love with this music. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you, the point that you made about how you hear music is an interesting <clears throat> too, because that changes your experience. Um, you know, whether it's in a car on headphones at a live show, um, I think that that can definitely affect your emotional experience of different sounds and music. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, it, it, um, in general, you know, it's, it's um, you know, music, we're, we're all made of sort of, of, of cells that vibrate, you know, and music is a vibration and it can connect to all of us in a, you know, very physical sense um, uh, and more even on the spiritual sense too, um, is my belief. But it's a, it's a very power t powerful tool that, you know, if we can harness and we learn to use, it could help us dramatically with different elements of our life. There you go. Do you want to chime in or add anything onto that, uh, Michael? No, I mean, I think Anna nailed it, frankly. I, th I think that one of the things that I've been so excited about learning through this process is exactly what Anna just said, which is, you know, we are made up of, of water and water vibrates. And as someone who was not a trained musician, um, to, to, to have to think about the impact of sound and music on our on our bodies has spawned a lot of ideas. Um, again, not only... Um, well, we're developing ideas that, that have true medicinal, medical, science-driven application. So, mm -hmm. you know, understanding the biology and the physiology of music's impact when we hear sound and music has allowed us to try to approach systemic problems in a different way in creating those musical interventions. And um, that's probably, for me, like the most fascinating is drilling the music down to such a scientific way in ways that never it never would have considered 
um, as a lay person, you know, leading up to the beginnings of creating the studio. There you go. And it, it's interesting to me how music can imprint memories into your brain. Uh, you know, I've, I've had, and you guys talk about this in the book, and you guys talk about it on the website, you know, I've had, I've had, uh, uh, you know, I remember, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was a teenager, one of my girlfriends, she said to me, you're, the, you're my candle in the wind. And I was like, okay, well, great. That's awesome. I, I didn't get the reference because I wasn't listening to the radio, I guess, at the time. And uh, she said, no, no. The, the song, Ario Speedwagon, Candle in the Wind. She goes, that's, that, that's a song that bonds me to you and reminds me of you. And I was like, well, I better go find out what this song is about. And so that kind of became our song, our romantic song. And, you know, a lot of the references of the couple of years we were girlfriend and boyfriend resonated with it. And anytime I hear the song, I'm going to remember that relationship. Um, you guys talk about uh, different frequencies. So there's, you know, delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. You know, I've always worked with equalizers and different sound recordings where, you know, there's different hertz and, and how some of those things appeal to us and certain sounds appeal to us. Uh, in the book, uh, you guys spoke, or you guys, along with, I guess, Keith, uh, work with different neuroscientists. Uh, David Byrne, uh, am I pronouncing that right? David Byrne, You're talking hints, right? Mm -hmm. Um yes. Yep. Yeah, Bradford Marsalis, Hans Zimmer, McFleetwood, Sheila E. And then you work with neuroscientists neuro as well. <laughs> I might need some neuroscientific work. Uh, no brain. Uh, you work with them. To, we, know, to train. we know a person. <laughs> <laughs> I need to listen to more Shock the Monkey. I think I need the shock <laughs> part. Um, so uh, some electronic shock therapy. And you guys, you guys found some different things. You mentioned the Alzheimer earlier where... Um, uh, there's there might be some some things that we can use to repair people's brains there. Yeah, we we just a little context. What what we've really been, you know, our our mission as a studio is, you know, we see um, we see the next sector of wellness being driven by music. And mm -hmm. at this moment in time, there hasn't to this point been sort of an arbiter the way the way there are in other. Um, frontiers of science like you think about how we learn about science growing up right so like you think about this great frontier like deep space and you have people like carl sagan and neil degrasse tyson guiding you as you know as some as with through information that's very fun and accessible you want to learn about it. the same with the deep sea and jacques Cousteau, who's an awesome personality but with all this brain science coming at us there's there is not to our understanding, certainly our fandom, there hasn't been like this arbiter that has sat in the middle and being able to not only deliver the science to us, but in a way that we can absorb it, use it, understand it. Um, so we've been, we, our book just launched, which is the first project in the studio, but we've been at it for three years, bringing some of the more important voices to develop our initiatives together. And those include partnerships with some of the most important um, major research universities and neuroscientists in the world, and then with artists and music companies, and then obviously with uh, media companies and creators. And we've, we've triangulated all of that. And, and Keith's voice, as mentioned earlier, like in the book, is really fun and funny and easy. And he distills the voice and the science in a way that makes it very easy to understand. So with regard to you know, some of the stuff we're exploring in the, on the, on the Alzheimer's sense, it's, it's, you know, it's such a horrible affliction. And, um, at MIT, for instance, there is a lab, uh, run by Dr. Liwei Sai, and she and her team have used a very specific frequency of 40 Hertz and have found the ability to stop the growth of Alzheimer's plaque in mice, which is phenomenal, wow. phenomenal. Wow. But on the other side, so we're we're leaning into creating musical interventions like that, that are that are serious, that are effective and scientific. On the other side of those projects that we want, like, what's the impact of music when you go to work, right? How do how do leaders emerge in the workplace through music? How do you focus and build creative teams in the workplace through music? One of the things that I think I found out that I love is supposedly one of the most effective ways to concentrate in the workplace especially with like computer work is to have video game soundtracks on in the background which is kind of awesome right you think about it it's they're all very stylized and they're they are they are born to elicit a very specific outcome and science has found that that is one of the very specific ways to help increase focus in the workplace 
There you go. And Anna, I'm going to throw you an additional to that, and feel free to add on uh, what you want. But I noticed that on the website, you've got Relax, Focus, Love, Thrive, Connect, Escape, Feel, Become, kind of some different examples and some stats on on how people can use music to connect and what they do. Any Any thoughts you want to throw into that? Yeah, well, one thing, you know, we've mentioned a few times with the, the interest of Michael and when we first heard it was that uh, this thing called the ISO principle, which um, when you're listening, <coughs> excuse me, um, when you're listening to, well, when you're feeling, let's say, a rageful and angry, <clears throat> instead of um, listening to calming music right away, you would listen to music that was at your level. So what you think Metallica. is rageful, <laughs> whatever that may be for you. <laughs> And then slowly bring it down to something at a lower level. And that's something that, for example, is a, a small piece of information that I never knew that I, because I would have automatically gone to classical music or something that calm, you know, you think calms you down. But if you know how to slowly bring your brain down to the right state, it's, you know, it's a better way to use it. So it's things like that, that are, you know, sort of small techniques of, of that you might not know of how to actually listen to it. And one of the interesting things they talk about in the book is, love and relationships how we can be drawn to people who uh there's a thing here on uh chapter three on love a couple only has a two percent chance of success if their musical tastes are in opposition boy i've had those girlfriends and dates uh yeah it's unless they like the corner of music you like and you like theirs quick ones yeah yeah there's going to be a yeah. fight over the radio. Uh, yeah. There's going to be a fight in the car over, you know, I had one girlfriend, you know, and, she, and I'm not knocking her in any way she performed, but, you know, she liked her music and I like Metallica and, you know, I'm driving down the road <laughs> nah, angry. But, uh, you know, it's interesting how this is connected and some of the data and research you guys have done. We talked a little bit uh, in the green room before the show about how maybe there are certain frequencies that we're attuned to that make us choose the type of genre maybe that we're attuned to. Like I, I you know, I look I at people who listen to country music and I, I just don't get it, but maybe they do because of the brainwaves. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, where you've grown up and what you've been introduced to as a, as a child. I mean, I think mm -hmm. if you're, there are very different sounds and environments in Asia, for example, or even Africa to, to America, Europe, there's this very, you know, you, you grow up with different sounds in the environment around you. So I think what makes you feel comfortable and what you hear can affect your music tastes and, and how you, you know, will be drawn to certain sounds and, and music. Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, did you want to throw some in here, Michael? Nope. I think Anna, Anna said it perfectly. Okay. Um, you know, it's for me, yeah, we mentioned Metallica and uh, love and stuff. Like in high school, I was in you know I was I was in that love phase, and I had my girlfriend in high school, and we loved a lot of Journey. And Journey's like a lot of love songs, you know. It's all about love, and and you know, there's not a lot of anger, depression, misery, headbanging going on at Journey over there. Um, at least not that I've checked lately. Uh, but uh, you know, when I was young, my first real band I fell in love with was Rush and their song Subdivision. I was, I think, 12 or 11 years old. I started going to school and, you know, the fights of school and the, the strangeness of peer pressure and all that. And the song spoke to me in a way, not only with the musically, but the, with the lyrics where it was, you know, told me about, you know, what the hell is, you know, this whole subdivisions and the dreams of and, and, and all this sort of issues. And then uh, later in life, I discovered Metallica and I have depression in my um, past. Uh, my I think family, I think we might have some genetic. I don't know if it's genetic, but there's some definitely <laughs> in my family. And, you know, James Hetfield, the lead singer of Metallica, talks about how you know, his trauma as a child, he, he lost his, uh, I believe, his mother early on. So there was some other abandonment there, uh, not by choice. Uh, and issues, I think, with his father and different things like that. But uh, for me, you know, I'll listen to Metallica and people will be like, holy shit, man, you're really getting into that. That's some real headbanging stuff. But it, you'll tell people, hey, man, that's cathartic. You know, and I used to have girlfriends that would watch Lifetime. Uh, TV, um, and I, you know, I, I come home and they'd be with their mom sitting in front of two feet in front of Lifetime TV, crying, and I'm like, oh god, and I just turn around and leave, um, and I, I couldn't understand what the thing was, but what I finally got to understand was there's a cathartic process of emotions and feelings, maybe what they're thinking that they're going through, and it helps, it helps kind of cleanse you. Like I can listen to Metallica, and when I get done, <clears throat> you know, anger, misery. Ah. When I get done, I'm like, ah, oh, cool, man. The world's great again. 
It's almost the healing truth. It's funny. T totally. No pun intended. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, it's funny. Someone, a buddy of mine who's a music file said something to me a few years ago that actually reminds me a lot of you too, as we're just sort of listening to, to your nostalgia where he said to me, like a lot of, a lot of reason why he listens to music is that he, he's very analytical when it comes to music and he listens to the music strictly for the musical sake. I listen to a lot of music, certainly for the music, but like, it's so visceral with me with certain, especially teenage emotions and our musical, our musical lives are really um, shaped at, I think, 13, 14 and 15, when we're, our brains are really processing music at its highest count and we're associating music with those, with those sort of adolescent uh, memories. And I have those too, where, you know, listening to music, it's, it's powerful. Like when you, when you, you don't hear a smell, you know, so you don't, you don't, you don't uh, capture a smell for a long time. And then all of a sudden you smell something and it just, it takes you back instantly. Well, that the musical ties to your brain and the associations of those memories are such a strong draw for me personally, and obviously not alone here. And, you know, it really, it, it really almost hijacks your brain. And, um, you know, music can both help and, and frankly can manipulate at the same time. Think about all the times that we're manipulated, whether it's through a soundtrack or it's through a shopping experience, right? All things that can make you linger, make you excited to shop more, spend more, be more interactive. And those are the tricks of the trade. And, you know, we, we, we avail some of those secrets in the book. And, and you know, it, it's, it's amazing. Like, it almost feels like certainly to me along this path, it just feels like it's this, in, this invisible magic trick that, you know, has all kinds of superpowers. And, you know, our job here is to decipher and, and put them to good use. There you go. I, I love the concept of this and the scientists science about this. You know, it, I'm an atheist. It said we we crawled up from the primordial soup and and learned to walk on land. And and sometimes I wonder if that's why we have this connection to the ocean. Like I have a weird connection to the ocean. Uh, and and we go and we stand there, kind of in awe of it. But it, it might be. You know, everyone's got a different opinion. They're entitled to it. But but sometimes it might be our mother calling us home. But one thing you've kind of talked about is the verberation you know and there's something about listening to the waves and that it's very calming to me i used to go down to the ocean in california whenever the world was you know you're just like oh my god everything's just burning down in my life and i would go down there and i would it would it would not only calm me and still me and center me but it would also kind of remind me with the largeness of it that that, you know, all my stupid little problems didn't amount to a hill of beans across the eons of time that those waves have been crashing on that shore. It was, a, everything was a little speck of sand. And I would, I would be healed. I would come back from it and go, whatever. But like you said, we're water beings because we're made up a lot of water. At least most of us are. I think mostly I'm vodka. Um, but, uh, you know, that resonance in our, in our soul, in our, in our bodies, you know, there's certain notes that can hit you that just can, change your mood or emotions one way or another any thoughts well i think that i i feel exactly the same with water but i also believe that that because we were in our mother's wombs in fluid oh. and you know we had that motion of water but also the sound like the muffled sound of of being underwater in, in the womb and the other thing you're know, in the in you know in the womb we also the one of the first sounds we hear is the heartbeat our mother's heartbeat and so it's like oh. this very strong rhythmic sense which i think also connects us to the rhythm of life as it were um and you know we all sort of have an innate sense of rhythm and 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 different aspects of life that's all based around a certain beat a certain rhythm um, my, my mom must have had a, a lars metallica kick drum heart <laughs> yeah. but what if what if what if instead you found out that it was more like you know barry manilow or enya like would it change the way that you look at metallica <laughs> no, I love I love both those bands too. I'm I'm a, like a connoisseur of everything from the '80s and '70s, '80s, a little bit in the '90s. I've come to <laughs> embrace, but you know there are you know I there's a lot of melodic. Uh, you know, my mom sang to me. I think a lot of mothers sing to their children. There's kind of a I think yeah. there's science behind it, but I think moms there, do it because they intuitively know. Yeah, there is. I mean, there is. There's a lot of controversy to like play music in the womb, but there was a recent study. Actually, we just got sent that. Um, they found out that, that babies who'd um, 
who in the last few weeks of um, before they were born, so not early on, but the last few weeks that they had music, either their mother singing or music played to the belly, actually um, developed better with speech when, when they were learning to read and write and, and talk. Uh, so it was, um, there's a connection to uh, music and the development in the brain um, with speech development too. Mm-hmm. Did you guys, go ahead, Michael. No, Chris, I was just going to say, you know, we talked about a little bit in the green room just about um, how, um, uh, you know, how rhythm is important and how we, you know, how we how we start in a certain way. And Peter himself started out as a drummer. And, you know, um, a lot of what we're looking to explore is that is the power of of rhythm and constancy um, and how it affects and how we how we can measure math and time and you think about things that are measured by rhythm um, so many important things in our life and those are things that we're trying to get down to the bottom to and, and allow ourselves to have a better understanding of how rhythm can really help us breathe it can help us communicate um, and it can help us um, coalesce together build community like because once like you're at a concert one of the great things that we learned is that your your brains your brain waves sync up with your neighbors at the at a concert and like that's incredible to me and that's often just based on the rhythm of the beat maybe that's what we feel we're in concerts then there's kind of unifying mind meld absolutely yes body meld emotion meld you know, we all feel the we all feel. You know, if it's a painful song about sadness or misery or loss, you know, we all kind of feel that. Everyone will cry. And um, what's what's also interesting to me is well, there's one thing I want to get out of the way first. So, the, I don't know if I don't know if you guys researched in the book or researched it yet. But someone should solve this riddle for me. There are times in my life where I won't have heard the song, and maybe I heard it. I don't know, in music or movie, and maybe that triggered it. But sometimes. I'll get a track in my head. I think usually I pick it up. Like I'll hear it in a movie or, you know, some player, somewhere I'll hear the cut. Like, and it can just be like a lick, the riff, you know, uh, of, of the dun dun dun, whatever it is, maybe the chorus or the beginning. And it sticks in your head. And I don't know, maybe I'm insane because I have a lot of ADHD or had, um, but that thing will bug me and haunt me like i'll wake up doing the tune in my head and you're like yeah. love of god are you serious and then eventually i'll figure out that it's going on and i'll be like can can you leave me alone place play another song or something you know and it, it becomes <laughs> maybe it's my age adhd but i'll eventually just gonna have to listen to the song and then play it like five times and sing to it just to kind of get it to release yeah. um and i gotta tell you um anna uh, I looked up Peter's top songs here because I want to make sure I, you know, there was anything I could pull from it. And I graduated high school in 1986. I was a big watcher of MTV, and I just noticed that one of his top songs is, of course, the song "Sledgehammer." Guess what the hell's been playing in my head for the last ten minutes just by seeing the word "Sledgehammer" and having that song play? It is now in that place in my head right now, and probably will be for the next 24 hours. Um, and also, I'm relieving the video as well. Because that was like every other video on MTV in 1986 was Sledgehammer. So I have a thank little you. cameo in that video. I don't know if I like your. <laughs> I was just about to share, Anna. That's right. Yeah. I, I think know. It's like it's, three it's, minutes, 42 seconds in. It's just three frames. There's little it's Anna. It's a very quick. <laughs> and it's hypnotic. Sledgehammer. You can't. Like, I'm going to ruin it for everyone. I'm putting everybody's head now. We all have to share my pain. But Chris. But Chris, so so what you're experiencing is called an earworm, right? Oh. So we go into the book a little about one way to alleviate that earworm is to chew gum because gum can help disrupt the the neuro pathways, which oh. will help you get that gu- the song out of your head. Although you don't want to get sledgehammer out of your head, you want to get a different song out of your head, right? I yeah, usually. It's, well, I, I have several voices in my head from all the personalities, so we're always trying to just keep the kill, kill, kill one on its own. We don't want to listen to that voice. At least that's what my judge and parole agents said anymore. We can't is, there, voice is there a song, though, that you know that if you hear it, it's going to be sticky like for days? Because oh, yeah. I have a couple yeah. in my head that I know that if, if, it, if I hear it, that's the end. Like There's no amount of Big League Chew in my mouth that would stop that song from repeating and repeating. Yeah, I've scheduled a few lobotomies with some songs, but Sledgehammer is <laughs> one of those songs. Uh, Shock the Monkey is another Z- song. 
Zombie by the uh, by the Cranberries is a song, and Ants Marching mm. by Dave Matthews. I challenge anyone to go out and listen to those and not have it, you know, <laughs> stick in your mind this time tomorrow. Yeah, and and I think it's interesting how we have uh, kind of an assembly of those. Maybe that's the way we process our emotions, or we're using music to process our emotions. Because sometimes I find like, why is this song stuck in my head? And there's something eating me. There's sometimes where I've had something that's eating me. There's some sort of subconscious idea process about something I wanted to write down or some, some thing that I'm trying to square in my head or get a resolution to. And somehow that music is, is guiding me or sometimes it's the lyrics that are hitting me. Any thoughts on that? I think, well, I think it can be a combination, you know, a combination. Some people are more affected by lyrics than they are by the sounds and tones. But, but I think there's specific, you know, elements to the music as well as the, ly the lyrics are the obvious one where people connect to what somebody's saying. Um, but sound-wise, I think there are certain tones, chords, progressions that you can use that will elicit different emotions in people. So <clears throat> I think the combination is, is what gets to people. Um, but I think on the other side, you know, there's like music can be used in terms of sticking something in the positive side of actually remembering things too. Like if you're learning, if you're a school in, you know, if you're learning your ABCs, you learn it with a song um, and you remember it because of the, because of the way it's sung. Um, so, and, and it's attached to music. I, for, me, for me personally, you know, my dad used to help us learn our uh, multiplication tables using some song or another he made of, um, but it, but it always helped. Um, and I actually, I'm a believer that it should be used in education for kids all over the place in, in whatever subject matter. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things you talk about in your book is all these different emotions and features and how music works. We mentioned Enya and like new age music and different things. Piano music is like a, uh, I don't know if dopamine is the right word. Uh, it, it will, it's almost like a turkey eating turkey with the, uh, what's it called? Tryptophan. Tryptophan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I hear really slow, beautiful piano music, it it it's almost hypnotic, and it will just make my my brain. It's like hitting my brain with a a nice brick or something, and I just go. Ooh. Um, you guys talk about relaxing there. One thing you talk about too is like uh, sex and music and playlists for uh you know the people like and how that can have an effect on on our love and lovemaking. Anna, you want to feel that one? <laughs> um, well, I think, you know, I mean, it's just the obvious connecting with people through music, um, you know, having the same taste as we mentioned earlier is a big part of it. Um, and, and also, obviously, rhythmic factors of, this, of the tracks. And, um, but I think, you know, if, I think it's, it's more a connection um, than anything uh, between people and, and how it can build connection, music can build connections. Yeah. But, and yeah. then, you know, I think sort of like songs to, to make love to like also have this sort of like circular repetitive melody. So, right. So it's intoxicating and it's getting into your brain and that it is that like you're in that moment. It is, you know, it is, it is on it is on repeat. Right. So going back to that rhythm again, like how intrinsic rhythm is to all of us, it goes over and over again. But, Chris, I, I think, you know, we we there's a study that we've been privy to that. I, I think just blows us away. Just going back to to, um, to relaxation, which is chapter one in our book, um, University of Pennsylvania did a study within the past few years about, um, I think that they were, um, they had, um, they had called together about 57, 157 people who were pre-surgery. And um, they gave, I think about half of them um, some uh, medicinal sedative, an IV sedative as a nerve block. And the other half, they, uh, through noise-canceling headphones, they played what is supposed to be the world's most uh, relaxing song, which is a song called Weightless by a band called Marconi Union. And the results were, were phenomenal. The levels of anxiety in these pre-surgical patients was almost indistinguishable between the music intervention and listening to Weightless for eight minutes as it was to have an IV sedative. And like that to me, it, it is so demonstrative of like power of music because mm -hmm. if music can be a non-invasive medical wellness tool, especially when you're talking about having to take some heavy drugs, 
um, mm -hmm. as opposed to a song having theoretically the same kind of impact, then to me, it's a no brainer on, you know, the direction as, as what we should be learning and what we should be chasing. There you go. Yeah, the the sex thing I was referring to was one of the uh, areas of the book they talked about how to build a sexy time playlist. And if you if you want to build closer bonds with someone, you should choose music that reverberates with you, which makes sense because I, I'm not a big fan of certain types of music. I think some people, you know, they like their genres. And it would be very hard for me to fall in love with somebody if I was constantly have to listen to a genre of music I don't like. And if you notice, like, even our dating profiles, I think Tinder or, and different things, w when you match with people for dating, you know, they'll talk about what sort of music are you into? What, what do you like? And, you know, we'll advertise, like, even on Facebook, we'll advertise what our uh, favorite bands are and different things. So that makes a difference. So this would be this would be really great too because i can see what you guys are talking about now with like alzheimer's and dementias and i know dementias <laughs> i'm clearly in the early stages um dementia and and how music and the frequencies can be used to stimulate the brain to, to keep it from dying uh any is that your hope that maybe you can translate some of that in the science of it into um into uh you know therapies like you mentioned earlier we we've done our best to surround ourselves with the world's most pioneering scientists who could speak to the science a lot better than we can frankly our job was to um to vet the musical interventions that we're building through these media projects with these scientists um i i think it would be irresponsible certainly for me to begin to explain to you how the frequency hits the cochlea and then translates into the brain through electricity. But that's what I can tell you on its most basic level is what, what is what is happening. Um, but, you know, we do go into some of the more specific science throughout each chapter in the book. Um, and that will help guide the reader to better understand with each sort of intersection that we address in the book, whether it's focus or relaxation or becoming and thriving, um, that you can put the science to work um, for very usable tools. There you go. Um, it, so what do you guys hope to do in the future? Is there is a roadmap yet, or are you, are you playing it out to see how it goes? Uh, what's, what's the future of what you guys are going to do with the company? Well, we have a lot of we have a lot of projects coming up where we sort of have our, our eggs in many baskets, as it were. Um, but we, you know, we'll be releasing sort of you know media projects such as you know podcast, TV show, all sorts of things, as well as hopefully a traveling museum, like live events. Different. Um, there are many different places we can go. I mean, music is obviously it's so. Um, it, could be involved in anything really so uh, we can go anywhere with it and we have <clears throat> many different partners we're working with um, on different projects so they will start to sort of the book mainly is our DNA for for most of these so um, you know we started with the, we wanted to start with the book um, because of that and then uh, things will you know gradually progress from there into there these different go. projects. and and I think it maybe explains why you know I I, I hate to I hate to toot my own horn being a Gen uh, Xer, but that's what we do. Um, but you know, it's interesting how the mu the music from my era of time, and I'm not going to throw you guys under the bus for age wise and assume that you're a singer. Um, but it seems like the you know the 80s, the 70s had some of the most greatest music ever. And I know some people will argue with me about. But what's interesting is that music. You know, like Peter Gabriel's music. Uh, a lot of his his list in your eyes. I mean, this this stuff still resonates today, and every now and then I'll be like, "Oh man, that was such a great song! I remember that song on the radio." I mean, the radio. Those of you who are millennials or Gen Gs, you'll have to Google what a radio is. Um, but uh, uh, I remember those experiences, and you know, back in my day, you'd sit by the radio and wait for that song. You call the DJ, "Hey, can you play this song?" and and then you hope that he would, and and, uh, and then plus uh, pray and record to see if yeah. he can record it. <laughs> <laughs> and catch it. I remember, you know, like I say, I grew up uh, watching MTV, and and Peter Gabriel was a real uh, big impact on their broadcasting. Um, and and uh, but it's interesting how so much of that music is is like still alive today. It resonates. And maybe it's because of those frequencies like you guys are talking about. And that's the real power of them. Uh, you know, even today's musicians and artists sample 
a lot of that music you know the rap people put uh, different sampling in their music and and a lot of people will talk about the influence of what they're currently doing as an artist to that music and a lot of them are going back and using it so it's interesting to me how that keeps coming back yeah you know anna and i um we together did the interviews of the musical artists in the books that range from david byrne to quest love to mick fleetwood and han zimmer and sheila e and we talked a lot about this. One of the people we interviewed in the book was Cool from Cool and the Gang. <laughs> and I remember his telling us that, um, you know, he, he asked his mom, you know, like, what makes a hit song? And she said, it's always a simple melody, right? So to your point about all the sampling and, and, the, and the repetitiveness and the resonance of all that 80s music that was very easy to absorb, it was easy to capture, it was easy to memorize, and it was easy to associate, I think, with sort of everyday memories um, because of just the nature of how you absorb music, whether it was through the radio, you, you were always in the car, or, and you were just waiting, waiting and hoping that the DJ would play something that like resonated. And I think those associations were, were deeply ingrained uh, through very simple melodies. And I think that's probably a reason. If you look back at some of the songs that, that you feel are sort of coming back at you, there's probably a very simple melody associated. Any thoughts David, on that, Anna? Well, David Byrne said something interesting that I thought was, was that, that people of the younger generation of today actually don't have um, as much bias on styles and types of music. They're, they're much more willing to listen to music of a different generation. Um, it's not like their parents' music, and, and there's not, it's not got such a cliche as it did when probably all of us were younger. And, and so it's, it's interesting. And we were kind of thinking, is this because of the way you know, music is available now? Um, are we listening to just singles and not albums? Is it, you know, is it much more playlists, mixed playlists um, and, and the streaming services? Um, but it's, it's just, I thought it was an interesting point that he made. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it, I, you know, and I think movies and TV play a big part. Like, I, I was a big Sticks Grand Illusion fan when it came out. I'm that old. Uh, wait, I didn't think I came out. Love Grand Illusion. But Grand Illusion, what an album. And then... Uh, 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 you know, it had that huge comeback when uh, South Park did a redo of of uh, "Come Sail Away" on the show, a parody. They did it with uh, Rush and I think Tom Sawyer, and they've done a lot of artists. But there's different different yeah. movies too that have done that as well. They do that replay, and yeah. suddenly it becomes. There was the there was the thing recently where uh, a couple years ago on TikTok where the uh, one gentleman, uh, I think it was Dreams or it was it was one of the Fleetwood Mac songs, and he played it while yeah. drinking Ocean Spray. And suddenly Ocean Spray yeah. starts selling a million things and it became like this this huge thing. And Mick Fleetwood's like, hey man, I need to get on we need to get on this TikTok thing. We just sold 40 million records. And uh exactly. you, know, you look at you look at stuff like uh Pink Floyd's the uh uh boy, I'm getting too old. Uh, I need I need to some more shock the monkey. Um uh, help. Uh Pink Floyd's the wall, uh, the wall. The wall, wall and then uh, dark side of the moon i mean that thing was on like the the thing forever uh what what's interesting too to me and i know i'm kind of rambling a little bit here but there's a point to it uh there's certain songs of certain music that you listen to that the words don't matter like steely dan like all their stuff i was a fan of steely dan for like 30 years and one day i sat down and i was like you know, I should figure out what the lyrics are to all these songs that i'm always going to court <laughs> like what the hell is this? and i started reading you know, the origins of the songs and, you know, being the drug fiends they were and half insane. We've had some of the producers of their song, um, you know, and they're great guys. But, you know, I started reading some of the music and I'm like, this is completely not what I imagined the music was I was singing to. But, you know, and everyone has their own interpretation. So it's, it's kind of interesting that way. Maybe we can maybe we can solve Alzheimer's by, I don't know, Metallica. I don't know. You just need more head banging. So maybe less <laughs> than anything we haven't touched on that you guys want to tease out about what you guys are doing and how you're doing it now that we've established the 80s are the greatest musical <laughs> era ever look one, one of the thing i mean look i i i love what we're doing because like music is so accessible it's democratized it's a tool that i think we're just learning how to hone mm-hmm. um you know chris you talked about early on um there are there are sciences in the world that are that are buttoned up tight 
right? And science is science. And I think the science around music and the neuroscience of music is evolving. And, um, you know, our job as we see it is to make sure that we're ahead of that science and we have the right scientific um, data, the right scientists around us to help us make sure that whatever we can imagine to create where music is so bespoke and we all absorb it different ways that we're trying to create opportunities to figure to help people, including ourselves, learn how to make use of the music in a different way than they had before and realizing the tools that they have at their fingertips. Yeah, maybe there's some science to it. Anna, any parting thoughts? Well, just that I think, you know, music is, you know, <clears throat> you shade the universal language, but it's, it's, uh, it's true. I, I mean, and I believe that, you know, it, it predates language as well, um, itself and, and, and speech. But, um, you know, it, it's just such a powerful, you know, it, it just the fact that, you know, we talked about this earlier, but the fact that music and smell can skip our frontal cortex and go right to the limbic system and where we feel and we skip all reasoning is just it goes straight to the core, as it were. Um, so, it, so it is a extremely powerful tool for all of us. There you go. You know what was funny? Uh, that was the other thing I was trying trying to remember. Um, I game with my nephew, and he's uh, you know he was like twelve or fourteen at the time, and I would game with him across our game Destiny and Call of Duty, and he started singing like he would just be you know we'd be playing, and he he started singing uh, uh, the Queen song, uh, another one bites the dust. There's a couple others he sings. I think Bohemian Rhapsody and and a few other ones. And I said to him, I, I about fell off my chair. I go, do you know what you know what the song is? He goes, I don't know. No one hit the buzz. Just you know, he's singing the little <laughs> tune. And he does that with a lot of classic songs from the '80s. And I said, and I was I kind of fell off a chair. I go, do you know do you know where that song? How old that song is? And he goes, oh, I don't know. It's a song I just kind of like. And and I go, I was your age in junior high when hit uh, the queen song another one bites the dust i had the single i think i might still have the 45 single <laughs> um, uncle chris you're old yeah that's, that, <laughs> that reminds me of that a lot but but then i'm like you know it was so amazing that here he is and probably what, 40 years later the same song is resonating with him that it did to me at my age and uh, it kind of gives you goosebumps kind of like wow but once again, that reiterates why the 70s and 80s are the greatest musical generation ever. And uh, everything after that has been down. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Grunge sucks. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I, I love Nirvana. <laughs> I love Nirvana. That's about it. Um, anyway, guys, thank you very much for coming on the show. Give us your .com so people can find you on their webs, please. Yeah, Reverberation.co. Yeah. There you go. And your guys' personal works, please. Um, mine is Anna Marie Gable Photography, I mm. think. So on, on Instagram I, and Facebook. Uh, and mine is Utter Nonsense, U D D E R, Utter Nonsense. There you go. And uh, send a message to your father. Thank you for breaking my brain in my 80s and stuff with uh, Sledgehammer being on repeat. He's only getting started. <laughs> and Shock the Monkey. That's still a great song. The punch of it is just Shock the Monkey. Great. Now that's going to be in my dreams tonight. All right. Well, thank you very much for everyone for coming on the show. Thanks for audience for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for Chess Chris Foss, youtube.com for Chess Chris Foss, all those places on the internet, uh, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. Yeah, I think we've covered it all. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And that should have a